Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello there. Welcome to the Writer's Routine Podcast. This is the show where we talk through an author's daily ritual to find out if there's anything there, any golden nuggets lurking in the mud that can help inspire us to be better at our own work. Now, today we're chatting to the author Mark Hill, whose debut crime novel, Two O'Clock Boy, was released earlier on this year, 2017. And we chat about how his writing routine is scatty, fragmented and often fairly torturous. We find out why his office is dominated by a gigantic colour-coded whiteboard and also how being commissioned to write a second book changed his whole view of writing. When you suddenly sit down and you think, oh my gosh, I'm a professional now, so I've got to produce a book in a year. And of course the first one you produce at your leisure, nobody's waiting for it, you can sort of really polish it to your satisfaction. (laughs) The second one is done to deadline and that in many ways, writing the second book, has been far more of an exhilarating feeling because it's it's something that you have to treat as a job. Stay there, it's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, welcome to Writer's Routine. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson, hello. Uh, We're on episode 16 of this show now uh, and I've been feeling a lot of, of love on internet and social media recently so thanks very much if you've been part of that I've had quite a few tweets uh, Instagram mentions and shares recently even some blog posts I've been in there telling people that they're enjoying the show and I really cannot thank you enough for it so carry on with that Uh, tell your fellow writing mates and your your process and routine junkies as always though that's really appreciated Um, the best way to let other people know that you're enjoying this show is to find writer's routine on itunes and leave us a review so get on there drop us a few stars leave us your name write some nice words as well it really does go a hugely long way uh, with that pesky itunes podcast chart then hopefully more book fans and aspiring authors can find us and they can get help from people who have been there, who have done it and who have got the t-shirts from their publication day. It seriously is dead simple and it goes a really long way. Just find Writer's Routine on iTunes and leave us a nice review. Our guest on this week's Writer's Routine is Mark Hill, a crime author whose debut novel Two O'Clock Boy was published earlier on this year and it stars the morally corrupt detective Ray Drake. I mean, really, in crime fiction, is there any other detective inspectors? They're brilliantly morally corrupt, all of them. 
it's a story all about a mysterious figure who seems to be getting revenge on an upbringing in a London children's home by killing all the people who went there. Now, it's called Two O'Clock Boy. I think I've already said that, but it's always handy to get another plug in. And it was so successful that his publisher ordered a sequel. So we'll chat about what it's like then to move an idea from a single novel to a series of books. Because I always think that's quite interesting, you know. Writers, on their first book, they tend to pour out all their ideas and their work into that one. You know, to finally get out, to get it out there, to get it read. And then it goes well and they need to do a second one. And it starts to become actual work, not just a passion project. So you can hear what he thinks about that in a little bit. Mark also works as a radio producer as well on one of the biggest radio stations in the world. So we'll talk about how that has influenced his storytelling too. Also, I think this chat's quite curious because you can hear how much Mark is struggling to talk about his method, his process and his working style. Almost like he doesn't consider it all that interesting really. And it's just what happens and what he wakes up every day to do. So we spend some time kind of mining to the bottom of that. And before we got the microphones out and clicked record, um, he showed me up to his writer's loft. He's got this fantastic whiteboard there. Uh, he works right at the top of his house. And it's there's a gigantic bookcase as well, which takes up one complete wall. If you think of your perfect writer's loft, I promise Mark Hill has got exactly that. And his whiteboard is filled with colour-coded cards and plotting notes, which is always interesting to chat about. Now, for our weird and wonderful writing routine from history today, we've got a short and sweet Distinguished Diary insert from Arthur Miller, the playwright. Uh, And he uses one of the greatest phrases, I promise, that anyone has ever used to describe a working day. So stick around for that. It's up in a little bit. First, then, let's catch up with crime writer Mark Hill, author of Two O'Clock Boy. There's another plug. And we find out where he sits down to work. I have a, an attic room where I write and my table looks out over my garden. So I sit and look at the cat bathing, basking in the sun on, on the roof of the shed. Or I will look at the lady next door gardening and occasionally I'll look at the sparrows. It's got a nice little sofa and a table and a, a chair an ergonomically correct chair, um, and a very, very big whiteboard, which is basically my most beloved object. I spend a lot of time staring at it uh, because I put on all my scenes. Every scene that I write, that I know I'm going to write, will go up on that board. And when that scene is written, the words will change colour, so I can actually see the uh, book kind of developing before my eyes. It's interesting that you refer to them as scenes. I I think we'll kind of talk a bit more about that uh, later and and your plotting. But so the show is writer's routine. Talk me through your average day then, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed when you're aiming to write. Oh, heck. I mean, that changes. I mean, I'd rather describe it, I I guess, over a week. So I'll I'll always... My baseline is to write 12,000 words a week. So that will be 2,000 words every weekday and then 1,000 words on the weekend Um, because I try and write every day. If I do more than that, then that's great. And if I do less than that, then I feel a little bit annoyed with myself. Um, But basically, it works out about 12,000. And some days... I can rattle off 2,000 words, you know, in no time. And some days it's really hard and you spend most of the time sort of sitting, staring out the window or more likely staring at the internet. 
and it can take all day. Um, so then, I mean, basically I'll get up in the morning and I'll go and get a coffee from over the cafe over the road and I'll bring it back and I'll sit in my room and, you know, take, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll stay up there until um, my work is done. So how long does it tend to take you to write about 2,000 words? It probably takes me about, it probably takes me about a morning. But also, I, I write in, these may be 2,000 words from different chapters and different scenes. So I can, I can literally sit there and be writing halfway through a sentence and then have an idea about a completely different chapter and, and, and something will pop into my head and I'll go straight to that so basically uh, it, you know it's they're not linear words as long as I've got the words down I'm really happy are they 2,000 good words no no there's 2,000 terrible words I mean I I kind of think the first draft is like a, an undercoat you know you have to to me I mean a, a lot of writers I know always say that they hate the editing process and they love that sort of initial splurge of creativity because I tend to plot very quite heavily uh, the scenes will then go up on my board to me it's like getting it out of my head I kind of know what I want to write um, so I just need to get some words down on the page and then the, the real joy for me comes from editing those words and, and, and sort of making them nice <laughs> because I don't write a book from beginning to end in 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 a, in a in a in a straightforward fashion i can i'll write any scene that i want to on that day so if i'm feeling in a certain mood i might write a a violent sort of crimey scene or if i'm in a completely different chilled out mood i might write a nice emotional scene i don't sit there and think oh my gosh i've got two people in a room and i want them i don't know where i'm going with this you know i, I kind of have a re really from the beginning, I have a good sense of what I need to do and where I go, which allows me to write whatever I want that day, really. Let's talk more about your plotting then. So talk to me about the first moment, uh, the book is Two O'Clock Boy, the first m idea you had of that story. Gosh. I do you know remember the first flicker of it going through your mind? No. <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. I mean, it, it, I knew I wanted to write a story about uh, a person with a dark secret because dark secrets are what make crime fiction go round. And I grew up in, the, I know it's difficult to believe, but I kind of grew up in the 70s when there were a lot of conspiracy movies around on television. So you'd sort of see things like Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor. Um, and I, I, I wanted the policeman to be involved in the conspiracy, and that's all I knew. And the rest of it came out of the writing, actually. Um, and when I say I plot very fiercely, that doesn't mean things don't change. You just kind of have a sense of what you want to do and what you want to achieve. I kind of n knew the setting and the characters I wanted to use, but it changed so much. I mean, So how did you expand on the, the setting and the characters you want to use to develop this story? Are you, are you brainstorming? Are you mind mapping your character to find out what he could be getting up to? Because I've, I've seen the, the whiteboard and it is heavily plotted, as in you, you know exactly what's happening and that allows you to write maybe a scene up here, maybe a scene really early on. So it's got to be thick. So how are you developing that? That's a good question. I, I, I mean, I started out writing film scripts. I, I, I was a script reader and I re read a lot of scripts. So structure has always been really important to me. I also knew that I get very bored 
So I wrote two timelines, one set in the 80s and one set in the present day, and I knew that I wanted to sort of knit those, both those timelines together. Then I bought myself, the, this is my third most beloved thing after my cat and my whiteboard, it's my file cards, and I carry them... I carry them with me everywhere and basically I have loads of file cards and I put them in my pocket and when I get an idea I'll write it down if I get an idea for a scene I'll write it down and just pop it on the card and then I'll shuffle them around so you'll often find me sitting in cafes sort of looking quite mad with lots of different types of <laughs> file card different colours which all denote different characters point of view and just moving them around and changing them and they'll change back and forth for, for weeks and months and then I then it goes up on my board you know I kind of think well I want a car chase you know or I want somebody to walk into a room and get thumped you know and I'll kind of think well I'll pop it in somewhere and there's always a way <laughs> how do you then play around with your whiteboard oh I, I I kind of you know once it's up on the whiteboard it's pretty set in stone to be honest otherwise I'm I'm, I'm endlessly sort of rubbing out lines and, and putting them back on and it all gets very messy so once it's up there it tends not to come down until the end of the book so how does the whiteboard then translate to the page while you're writing it because i noticed that your your desk doesn't face the whiteboard i love my whiteboard and I, I do stare at it a lot um and as you stare at it you make connections between things so i can see how one character has gone somewhere and how that may connect further down the line with a, a scene set in a similar place. Talk to me about an average um, brief for a scene that you're planning to write. So if you're maybe struggling with chapter five, but you know what's going on in scene 15, talk to me about how you know what's going to happen, maybe the bullet points that you've jotted down and how you'll develop those. I don't want to give you the sense that I plot absolutely everything. I mean, within a scene, you make a million different decisions. So... And they will often not be the ones that you intended to make. So it will kind of change. But literally, I, I, as long as I've got the structure of that scene, and that scene or that chapter has the beginning and the middle and end to my satisfaction, I, anything can happen within it, really. And, and that may n need some rejigging down the line. And of course, when you give in your manuscript and you're, you're, you get your editor's notes back, that mostly goes out the window anyway, because then you, you, you're, you know, you're taking on board those notes and rewriting so i mean it's quite a fluid it's still quite a fluid process i find but i have to know i'm not a pantser you know plotters and pantsers and people who can sit in a room and literally write a book from beginning to end um, and not know what's going to happen next i mean that would drive me crazy i don't i couldn't do it it's just not the way that my brain works i i really need to work out the story structure and the architecture and and of course you know you want to build in two or three twists you know and twists don't just come out of the blue like that not for me anyway so that's part one done we'll get a little bit more from mark hill in a bit including how working in radio has affected the way that he speaks to an audience and stay there we'll hear the daily ritual of arthur miller in just a sec I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now quickly, before we start Distinguished Diaries today, let me take a quick second to remind you there are so many different ways that you can get in touch with this show. If you've got any guest ideas, if you've got any ideas for questions or anything, really, any comment on what we do is fantastic. Uh, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're over at writersroutine.com, where you can get in touch with the show. You can get some handy little clips and teases for new episodes, and you can catch up with everything we've ever done. So, yeah, give us a follow on social, search for Writers Routine, and you can get to our website, which is writersroutine.com. Time for Distinguished Diaries, then, where we hear a weird and wonderful writing routine from one of history's most successful authors. Today, it's the playwright Arthur Miller. Now, Miller was born in 1915, and he wrote huge plays like All My Sons, Death of a Salesman, A View from the Bridge, The Crucible, and what I have on his writing routine, right, it's sure, it's sweet, and it's taken from Mason Curry's wonderful book, Daily Rituals. I highly recommend that. Now, Arthur Miller once told an interviewer that he didn't have a specific writing routine. He just gets up in the morning, heads to his studio and tears it up. That's what he says. And occasionally uh, he thinks that something finally sticks. He's effectively throwing things at the wall and seeing what stays there. In fact, the image that he uses himself of this process is of a man wandering around with an iron rod in his hand during a lightning storm, and hopefully something strikes. Now, I understand that the show is called The Writer's Routine, and that this feature is about the most successful writing routines from history, and Miller didn't actually have a writing routine, but that's kind of the point. You know, he wrote some of the 20th century's biggest plays, but he never had a standard way of doing it. So I think that you should take from this that there's no standard way to skin a cat, I guess. Hearing different routines is fantastic to give you inspiration from sitting down yourself and finally getting out that idea that's been kicking around your head. Just do whatever works for you, though. Chuck as much as you can at the wall and hopefully some of your ideas will get that thought train going. 
Right, let's get back to it then with radio producer and writer Mark Hill. Now, his debut novel, Two O'Clock Boy, it's out now. It's received rave reviews as well. So there's a second Drake and Crowley thriller coming really soon. And we pick up the chat with that, actually, talking about what it's like to start a series moving from a single book to thinking about having to write more. And we talk about what happened when he found out that he needed to write a second novel and how it all then started to become a bit too much like a day job. When you suddenly sit down and you think, oh my gosh, I'm a professional now, so I've got to produce a book in a year. And of course, the first one, you produce at your leisure, nobody's waiting for it. Um, you can sort of really polish it to your satisfaction. <laughs> the second one is done to deadline, and that, in many ways, writing the second book has been far more of an exhilarating feeling because it's, it's something that you have to treat as a job. So how did you start it was her out then so you've had two o'clock boy published you know that you've been given the green light to write a second you're sat at your desk what are you doing how are you beginning things um well i go i get my cards and i start writing on them and um i knew where i wanted to take those two characters i also had a kind of a an idea um for the investigation that i wanted them to be involved in and then it was a question of really um, tying those two things together really and it it came I feel that I'm quite lazy so um, I do sort of like to sort of consider these things over a nice cup of coffee so but once you actually get down to it I, I, I found it the whole thing came together pretty quickly actually and hopefully because it was quite it was plotted quite closely you know that saved me a lot of time further down the line but it was a great experience actually and hopefully the third one will be will be an even shorter gestation period your two police characters that you've got now now that you've based two stories on them and hopefully a third are you at the point where you know them so well where you could almost chuck them in a room and a story would come across that you could write about yeah, I think so. I mean, you're still learning about. Them. I mean, I've only written. I've written two books. I'm still on an enormous learning curve, and especially um, my characters, the Ray Drake and Flip Crowley. I'm still sort of working around them, finding out more. Ray Drake about is them. a great copper's name, by the way. Yes. How long did that take you to come up with? I um I used to. He's he's quite a terse character, and um, so I kind of named him after the Patrick McGowan character in danger man he was called john drake um and it was a sort of a, like kind of a weird way of paying homage to him and i wanted him to have um short very easily identifiable it's abrupt isn't it it is abrupt so he's very abrupt as well in his in his way so it kind of suits him actually how did you know how to make it a crime book i know that sounds like a really stupid question but but we've mentioned how you you work in scenes not chapters it's very cinematic how do you know how to follow the standard tropes that crime fiction necessitates? Uh, after a lifetime of reading crime, I think. I think the one thing I've always done is read a hell of a lot. And, uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot of crime. And I think it just sort of goes in the back of your head and comes out the front somehow. But also, I don't think you want to follow the tropes. I think what you want to do is you want to try and reinvent them in your own way. Um, and I'm still kind of learning how to do that really I really enjoy it I love crime I've always loved crime I mean you know I read widely I don't just read crime but I knew if I ever wrote a book that it would be a crime novel absolutely 
so the, I guess the reverse of that then when you were saying that you, you, you try not to follow the tropes, how much of a conscious decision is that then when you're sat there and you're, th- you're writing down uh, and you think, hang on, this is how every single crime story does it? Do you ever have moments like that and how do you kind of get around it? I think you can only do it. Uh, there are no, no new ideas under the sun. Well, certainly not that I've kind of ever thought of any. But you do know that a lot of those scenes have been done, you know, the, the, the crime scene and the... Um, talking to witnesses and interviews and, and all you can do really is kind of let yourself express yourself through those characters and hopefully the characters are different and even if they're not then hopefully it's they have a familiarity that people enjoy I certainly use film structure so I'll, you know it's a three-act structure I think one of the things I learned in radio of course everything has a three-act structure you know three-minute pop song I'd write interview notes and it has a beginning a middle and an end and I think that something I've been doing all my career. So I kind of always had that structure firmly embedded in me. And film structure I find really useful because it really does bring out those major turning points of the story, like the midpoint turnaround. I can't, I can't even remember what they call that. But um, I find it really useful. And yes, I do kind of... I have to have those moments firmly embedded in my mind you know and i have to know where they are in the book i remember working in 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 local radio and one of the things that the the ideas that goes around not too often thankfully is i remember a presenter being given a picture of the typical audience member to speak to and it was put on the wall opposite because this presenter would shout would, would be very loud be very bombastic in his style but he was told to just focus on Doris in I don't know Caversham I guess how much do you think your work as a radio producer has impacted your ability to talk directly to an audience and to know who you are pitching an idea and a story at uh, not at all in the sense that I think all you can really do is write for yourself so actually the book you're writing, for better or worse, is the book that you'd want to read. And that's all you can do. And hopefully um, you will find that other people like that as well. And some people are not going to like it and other people will. And it's, it's, but I think all you, all you want to do is write your own story. Um, Doris from Caversham, it's a good idea. I should kind of find out and do a sort of a photo fit of <laughs> an average rage rate fad i was gonna say i'm not sure doris from caversham in a in a doris loves my book in her little bungalow I'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> she's big on rage rake if i'm honest um well in keeping with that you've mentioned how you wanted to write crime you've always wanted to write a crime book do you think that you could turn your hand easily to other genres and be able to find that voice to speak to that audience I like to think so. I mean, some of my favourite scenes in Two O'Clock Boy, and it was her, are the ones where it's not really about the investigation, it's about the characters. Um, There's a scene in the first book, Two O'Clock Boy, where Flick Crowley, one of my police, goes to see her father, and she's after information from him. But there's a sort of a... They have a weird sort of strained relationship, and he's in a home, and he's sort of a kind of a dodgy character who really tends to sort of wind her right up and I love writing that scene really loved it and actually it sort of unlocked something in me and I, I kind of wanted to put in more of those sort of domestic scenes actually and there's more of them in it was her so yeah I'd like to think so actually yeah when I initially emailed you to pitch this idea for an interview, your reply I was reading it last night you were saying I'd like to talk about my writing routine because it's 
I think you, you described it as erratic and torturous. Did I say torturous? I think erratic and torturous. Oh, I was just basically, um, you know, encourage you. To no, I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the words. It's in the sense that I don't write from beginning to end. So it's torturous in the sense that, it, uh, you know, I will literally, sometimes within the space of a page, write a scene at the beginning and then a scene towards the end and then go to somewhere in the middle. And I suppose it's torturous in the sense that my brain flips all over the place. I mean, you've probably heard of Scrivener, which is a, yes. a, um, a, an on, a, which is a sort of a writing tool, which allows you very easily to move from one part of the book to the other. So I write my first draft in Scrivener. And it, it's really useful because I can then name the scenes and then I can write a sentence here, paragraph there, go back to the first scene that I'm writing. Because my brain really does not work in a linear fashion. It, it sort of jumps all over the place. And as a result, I jump all over the place. And um, So there really is no right or wrong way to write a book. Um, you know, nobody should sort of worry about having to sit there and start at the beginning and then write the scene after that and the scene after that. You can write a book in whatever way. And then, of course, all the heavy shifting happens in the second draft when I'm sort of knitting all these things together. But I find it incredibly liberating to sort of move and write what I want. I didn't, you know, I don't work in an, in an office. It's my laptop. It's my story. I can do it in whatever way I like and I take full advantage of that. Scrivener, by the way, is a word processing tool that you can buy for your computer and your laptop. I use it myself and it is actually like a brilliant way of organising your ideas, your thoughts and for keeping them flowing as you write. There's a pin board on the software as well that you can keep going back to and it's really good for organising what you've got. And I think actually we've mentioned them quite a few times so far on the show, a staggering amount of times, so I really should approach them for some sponsorship cash from all this advertising I'm giving them. Anyway, thank you so much to Mark Hill for inviting me up to his house in Muswell Hill, miles away from where I live in South London, but it was absolutely worth the trip. We had such a fantastic chat about his writing routine and his daily work process. Now we've got handy links for all of his work on our website, it's writersroutine.com. While you're on there, you can also listen to all the episodes that we've done so far. You can get in touch with the show and you can also do that on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Writers Routine Podcast on both of those. And as always, please find Writer's Routine on iTunes and leave us a review. That would be immense. It would be such a hand if you could do that. I really appreciate it. Now, next week, we've got a bit of a change from the norm, really. Uh, We're chatting to an illustrator who only started writing to work on his first picture book that he was commissioned for. And he got all the ideas for the characters in the story from items, stuff and bric-a-brac that was just lying around his house that he upcycled into actual art. So it's a different chat, but it is really interesting. You've got to come back for that. So make sure you subscribe uh, to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. It's fine. I will see you then next week on Writer's Routine. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.